This is Ready, Set, Workflow, a show about how to actually get things done in business, software development, startups, and life. We are your hosts, Katie, Caitlin, and Tosh, and today's episode is the second of a two-part series on refinements. If you haven't listened to the first part, press pause and go check out last week's episode to hear the why and what around refinements. Today, we get into the extra fun part, the how, and get super excited because Caitlin has an announcement to share later in the episode. I feel like I should go get a beer. I'm going to get a beer. But it's my birthday. All right. Well, cheers. 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 Happy birthday, Caitlin. Thank you. All right. Well, as always, let's get started with our question of the day. Today's question of the day is very, very topical. And it's because it's Caitlin's birthday today. So happy birthday, Caitlin. You get to record a podcast on your birthday. What no better way to spend it. So today's QOTD is what is your favorite birthday tradition or what has been your fave birthday? I have the question ahead of time. So I'll go first. So you guys can really like rack your brains and figure out what you want to say. My favorite birthday tradition is I go to Vegas every year for my birthday. It is in March and it usually falls around the same time as March Madness. So it's like a double celebration where I get to go and just be a full degenerate with all of my friends in Vegas and watch basketball and party and go to Top Golf and just have the best time every year. That is definitely my favorite birthday tradition. And it's been like, God, I don't want to say how many years at this point that I've been going, but too many and all of them are becoming a blur, but definitely my fave way to spend my birthday. Katie, what's your favorite birthday tradition or what has been your favorite birthday? I can't think of a birthday tradition. I definitely have a Vegas birthday to remember, also not safe for the podcast, but I think my favorite birthday was when I turned 18 and I was in London and we were in the underground in the tube when it struck midnight and I turned 18. And so the friends that I was with started singing happy birthday. And then everyone on the tube started singing and joined in happy birthday. So I think of it as essentially London sang me happy birthday on my 18th birthday, which was pretty great. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. That's awesome. I also think of the ocean beach street fair. When I think of your birthday in San Diego, I thought that's what you were going to say. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, that was a tradition for a long time. Also hard to remember. With the rascal scooter. Yes, that was the best one. Don't drive your scooter off the curb. On your birthday. On your birthday. Any other day is fine. Awesome. I don't have a tradition, but I have something that seems to happen every year on my birthday. I feel like I have a very popular birthday. I always know multiple people that have my birthday or have a birthday right around mine. Even today we were on a call and two other people's birthdays 
or tomorrow. So I feel like anytime I plan like a birthday party or a birthday dinner, it's always like three or four other people's birthdays at the same time. And it's always a joint birthday party, which is fun. But yeah, I remember I planned this like big thing for my 30th and it was like six other people's birthdays within the week. So it was just like, happy birthday, everyone, not just Caitlin. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's how a tradition works. True. Unintentional. Yeah, that's fair. And you probably had the last, one of the last birthdays before school got out. So then you got all the summer birthdays celebrating with you at the same time. In elementary school, yeah. But yeah, then I had the, you know, the summer college birthday kind of stinks because you're not at college. You're like home with your parents and you're 18. Oh yeah, you didn't go to a UC school. Like all the California schools got out in like the middle of June. Oh, that's late. But also didn't go back till like the middle of September. Got it. All right, so in part one of our refinements episode, we talked about the who, the what, the when, and the why. Today, we're going to talk about the how, but before we get into that, let me just recap some of what we talked about last time. So we defined backlog refinement as a scrum ceremony where the team reviews all the user stories, bugs, tasks that are in the backlog, ensures that the tasks at the top are ready to be worked on by a developer, and everything is prioritized. We also kind of went through the two whys of the meeting, number one being more for the devs. So the user stories need to be reviewed so the devs know what to build. And then the second why is we want to give product an idea of how long it will take. So that's where the estimations come in, which we will dive more into today. We also talked about who should attend these. Obviously, it's negotiable, but we kind of agree that we think product, developers, QA, and design should be there. We prefer to not have any stakeholders, no external users, no executives. This should really be a meeting for your team. Everyone should feel comfortable. So yeah, no no external people who aren't working on the work that you're going over. We also talked about the when. So we prefer to get it on the calendar weekly. Don't wait till you run out of tickets for the devs to work on to schedule it. Just have it every week. You can always cancel or end early if needed, but get in the habit. And then the other kind of pro tip we added at the end last time was maybe don't have stand up on refinement days. Just keep everyone focused, give them one meeting to to really be involved in. And that kind of helps make it as efficient as possible. So that is the recap. And now we will get into the how. Yeah. I mean, thank God we started with why, because I think it shows like how beneficial this meeting is because because now we're going to get into the how. and it's probably going to be painful. So if we started with the how, everyone probably would have skipped part two. They would have been like, I'm good. Thank you. (laughs) Never mind. Fast forward. So yeah, jumping into the how we, the way that we run it is you have a list of preset stories that you want the team to refine and review. And the person who runs it for us is the product owner, product manager, kind of however you want to use those terms interchangeably. And they're responsible for making sure all of the stories are ready for review and then walking the team through each one individually. We go through stories and bugs and the way that we do it is we review the first story starting with the title so that the team understands why this is important to the end user and kind of what the expected behavior will be. And then we deep dive into the acceptance criteria or the definition of done. So how the developers will know exactly what they need to build 
because that would be a really long thing to read through every single day at stand up. The title is short and concise, really just breaking down the value and why you're building the feature that you're working on. And then the acceptance criteria is that super detailed list of everything that needs to be done for this uh, story to be considered complete or finished and deliver value to end users. Um, so what we do is we just talk through literally each of the bullet points. So some of, of the stories are really, really straightforward and easy. It's like, I want this button to now be this color blue. Everyone's pretty much on the same page as the person sitting next to them. But there are definitely like way more complicated stories where you can be talking through the acceptance criteria for five, 10 minutes. And this is actually when we really do a lot of our conversation with the team as well. But I like the way that I do it and I like to run it is I go through all of the acceptance criteria first and then pause and ask for clarification and questions. Because if you get stuck on bullet point one, the question might be answered three bullet points down. So just going through the entire thing from the get-go, I think one answers a lot of questions that your team may have as soon as you start. And then it just gives them a general idea of the entire scope of the, the story. Is there any benefit to providing the stories ahead of time to dev? I think it would end up in just a lot of external questions and probably one-off conversations. And, you know, if someone has a question and it's answered, then the rest of the team doesn't get to hear that answer. Part of it is that if you give the developers the stories ahead of time, they might read through it and have a very different idea of what you're actually asking to be developed, but come in with this preconceived notion of what needs to be done. Because even as you're walking through acceptance criteria, sometimes it's useful to have your application side by side and compare what you currently have to what you currently want built. And I think that that's way easier to do in a conversation setting versus just giving someone, you know, a piece of paper or a Slack message or, you know, a link to all of the stories that you're going to be refining and asking them to read through it. Reading, I think, is very difficult to convey exactly what you want to be done. And so that conversation piece of refinement is really, really important. So Tosh, you mentioned that with our team right now, the product owner, product manager is running these meetings. We've been parts of teams where we have a scrum master and that's who runs these meetings. Have you guys been on teams where anybody else runs the refinements? I think you've ran it before, right, Caitlin, as the dev manager? Yeah. And I've been on other teams where the dev manager has run it. Um, I think, you know, it's whatever works for your team. I think that that's fine if the dev manager wants to run it and product can answer questions as you go. You could also alternate probably as Tosh and I love to do. <laughs> the more the merrier. I think it's just important that they understand the business needs. So even if your dev manager is running it, they either need to have had conversations with product probably before, or you. it's always nice to have someone from product represented in the meeting because they'll have more insight probably into how the business wants it to be developed or really why customers are asking for the feature. So I think that it's important to get that context as well. So anyone essentially can run it as long as representatives are there to help explain the business context, but really anybody can run it. Exactly. We should test the theory. Yeah. Let's just bring it on someone next week and see how it goes. <laughs> just tell them your mic is 
asking. <laughs> My question of the day will be who wants to run refinement today? Yeah. <laughs> be great. Can't wait. So we talked about who runs the meeting. Tosh, you touched on essentially the tickets and we did discuss whether to provide or not to provide the tickets ahead of time. So now they're in the meeting and you're having discussions about these tickets. What are the most important pieces to discuss about the tickets? And then what are the next steps after the discussion? Yeah, so definitely the discussion is where you get the value. If it was beneficial to just show the ticket or the stories and let the team read it and be done, then again, yeah, you would just send them the list ahead of time. But where you get the value is through that conversation and people asking clarifying questions or potentially throwing out alternate solutions that might solve that same customer need. So that's where the conversations become really valuable. But the one thing you definitely want to avoid is discussing how it's going to be done. There is no discussion of the how in these meetings. It's really just the what and the why. Once you start diving into the, you know, you need to open up this controller and change this endpoint and you can find the CSS in this file, that is where it starts to just get a little dicey and you need to rein it in. You do not need to figure out the how in these conversations. The team just needs to really understand the what and why. Yeah. And I think the facilitator, as the facilitator, it's your job to cut those off when needed because they're going to happen regardless, I think, because developers will see something easy and they'll want to just, you know, tell you what file it's in or they just worked on something that's similar and they want to chime in. So yeah, I think tabling those conversations so they don't get too technical because again, the meeting's only an hour, an hour and a half, probably maybe max two hours. So you don't want to have these super technical discussions during refinement. I think we typically say, you know, if you want to leave some dev notes in here, feel free. Okay. So-and-so you just worked on this, feel free to add some notes in the comments um, or be the one to grab this ticket. You can still get the value of whatever the developer wanted to add without the long technical discussions happening during this meeting. I think it's a good time to then transition into estimating because you're not having those technical discussions there. So you have to incorporate some of that uncertainty into your estimations so we can get into estimations. But before that, how do you know that you're done having the conversation and then that it's time for the estimation? It kind of happens naturally. You know, everyone's like soaking it in. They've asked a few questions and then everyone's kind of quiet. And I think typically we give them a minute and then, you know, you just ask like, are you guys ready to estimate or not? Any more questions? You guys still thinking about it? You know, you can, you can either gauge the room or just straight up ask. I usually just ask, does anyone have any more questions? And then once it hits that period of uncomfortable silence on the call, I say, okay. Time to estimate once it starts to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, you do want to move it along and, you know, you have stand-ups to continue to clarify as people start working on it. It doesn't have to be every single question clarified during this one meeting. So you've had the conversations, you get to the uncomfortable silence as the facilitator of the meeting. You want this meeting to move along. Next up, we go into estimations maybe before on how to estimate why is it that we choose to estimate as opposed to not choosing to estimate? I think it's just a good way to get buy-in from the group and also really just to understand the level of effort. I like to stress that it's not a commitment 
it's an estimation. It's evolving. What might be a 13 in Q1 of your team working on something might be a two later in the year. So it's just an evolving process. And I think it's important to just constantly remind your team that these are not commitments that they're going to be held to or necessarily measured against all the time. It's just a really good way for, and I'll speak for product, for product to understand the development level of effort and then communicate that to the business. It's very complicated to understand everything that's going on in the development process to deliver a feature. And what might seem very easy from the outside might be very, very complex for the development team to tackle. And with their, obviously, you know, their insight and their tribal knowledge of the product, they'll be able to actually tell you how complicated something is. And to me, that's really the benefit of estimation is understanding the level of effort and complexity for a request. And then you can take that and communicate it back to the business. Obviously, velocity tracking and all of that is hugely beneficial as well once you have a more mature product and a more mature team. But I think it's really just being able to understand the overall complexity. Yeah, I agree. You're not asking for a a, a timeline or anything. You're not saying, all right, everyone on the count of three says this is going to be done in January or February. It's more just like Tasha said, it's, it's really relative complexity. So compared to everything else that you're working on right now, is this story or bug more complex or less complex and how much more or how much less? And I think there's a couple of ways that teams typically do estimating. You can do um, t-shirt sizes, which might be good for like a, a new team or a new project where you don't have a lot of other stories to compare it to yet. So you can say like, is it extra small, small, medium, large, or extra large? And it's just kind of a gut feeling. Is this changing the color of a button or is it building a whole new page? The other way that I think most development teams do it is with Fibonacci sequences. So if you think back to your math days, series and sequences. If you recall, uh, the Fibonacci sequence is defined as the each number is the sum of the previous two numbers, which sounds confusing, but it's really not. The numbers that we use for our development tasks are 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, and 21. So again, each number is the sum of the previous two numbers. So the difference between a one and a two is pretty easy to tell. The difference between a five and an eight is pretty easy to tell. Is it like a five complex or is it an eight? But for a developer to figure out if it's a five or a six or a seven or an eight is probably, you know, just a level of detail that you don't need. So the numbers get farther away from each other as you go through the sequence because, you know, your level of being able to determine that complexity goes down as, as it gets more complex. So again, it's not a timeline. Uh, no one's asking for a date. It's just giving product an idea of how complex is this story compared to other stories that we do. I think the other benefit is, and this is for the development team. If you have someone sizing a story as a three and another person sizing it as a 13, there's probably a misunderstanding as to what is actually being requested in that story. So it's a really good time to circle back to your acceptance criteria and review it because that is a huge difference in what people consider to be a level of effort. And so that's a good time to have a, maybe a little bit more of a technical conversation, or again, yeah, just review the acceptance criteria and make sure that 
the team understands what is being asked of them because you shouldn't be having discrepancies that big during your estimation. Okay, so our favorite math man for this episode is Fibonacci. We obviously don't have 13 or 21 fingers. So how do the devs go about estimating? I know we've worked with different ways. It's called different things. There's planning poker, there's different apps. We have held up fingers before on video. What is the best way that you guys recommend going about doing the actual estimations? So I think it's somewhat of a democracy in that everyone gets a vote. So every developer on the team gets to say a Fibonacci number or a t-shirt size or however you're doing it. And there's, yeah, a few different ways. Katie hinted at one. If you're all in the same room, you know, pre-COVID days and you want to hold up fingers, that's great. People also do flashcards or if you have a, just a deck of cards, you can, you know, pull the numbers that you need for each developer and you can hold up your vote. The way that we do it is we use a Slack app, which is our big reveal for today, called Ready, Set, Estimate. You can find it at readysetestimate.com. And it's a great tool for remote teams to be able to estimate just really quickly in a matter of seconds. Um, So I, I assume most of our listeners probably use Slack before. There's tons of apps in the Slack app store or marketplace. You can download it there. It's free right now. And basically what it allows you to do is your facilitator, your refinement facilitator can just type in into any channel, ready, set, estimate. You don't have to type the user story or anything else. You don't have to tag people to be able to have them vote. You just type ready, set, estimate. Then a bunch of buttons show up. So we use Fibonacci. So it's one, two, three, five, eight, et cetera. And each developer can vote. Then the app tallies all the votes and you can kind of see the votes come in live. What's nice about it is when we were looking for tools to be able to do this, at pretty much every tool you have to type in a user story to be able to estimate. But you know, in the real world, you're on a meeting, everyone knows what task you're talking about. There's really no reason to require the facilitator to type in a user story every single time. So it makes it really easy. All you type is ready, set, estimate. There's autocomplete in Slack. So you pretty much have to type in like three letters and then you get the estimates. The facilitator normally, AKA Tosh, will share her screen. So everyone can see, share her whole screen. Everyone can see the votes as they come in. And then once all the votes are in, like I said, it's a semi-democracy, but the highest vote wins. So it doesn't win immediately. The lower votes can try to convince the highest voter to come down. So if three people are a five and one person's an eight, it's up to those three fives to convince the eight to come down to a five. If they can't convince them, then the story gets an eight. And Tosh can probably talk about how the, uh, how the arguments work there. Yeah. I mean, I love a good argument. So I usually try and get the team at least to debate it a little. Provoke them. Yeah. Just ask some really leading questions. So yeah, once your estimates come in, you'll either have a consensus where everyone thinks it's the exact same level of effort, or you'll have more of a split vote. Usually you'll see it between two numbers, maybe three, depending on the story that you're refining. So once you see all the votes come in, I usually just pause and say, okay, did any of the twos want to talk down the threes? And typically someone on the team just 
takes it on themselves and starts talking about it. And again, kind of to circle back, this is where QOTD is really beneficial because everyone on the call has already spoken. There's no fear of unmuting. There is usually conversation about the acceptance criteria going on at this point as well. So everyone should be in the flow of conversation. So hopefully one of the lower numbers feels comfortable to unmute and they'll usually give a high level description as to why they think it's a lower estimate. It could potentially be, I literally just did the same thing yesterday. I touched all these same files. I know exactly what needs to happen. Let me tell you it's a two or they might give some background knowledge or just other knowledge that they have and convince the people to come down. And the great thing about Ready, Set, Estimate is everyone only has one vote, but you're able to change it. You're not locked into your answer. So if you're convinced to come down, all the other team members have to do is click their new score or their new vote number, and it automatically updates to reflect their new number. Right. And it might be a little hard to visualize what a, what a Slack app looks like with us describing it. So we'll put a link to where you can download the Slack app. We'll add it to our Instagram and our website. So it'll be easy to find. Yeah. Once you get in the hang of it, it's really, really beneficial. I've also done it in the past where you basically are using Slack, but Slack, but everyone types in their own individual number. And we're right now estimating with, I think, 17 developers or something like that. And trying to keep track of 17 people's individual responses in a Slack screen is impossible. If someone changes their vote, it's almost impossible to find it. You're responsible then for trying to scroll through and see, okay, so-and-so you're still out of five. Are we good there? All of that. And it's just a lot harder to manage. Whereas ready, set, estimate, it's really just, it almost is like a poll version. Um, if anyone has ever used poll on Slack, where it's just one line, essentially like a small box and it lists out everyone and their votes in a really, really easy to see view. And you can see as people vote, as people change, and it just makes it super easy to manage all of the estimate, all of the estimates that come in. It also, if you use Slack, it's nice because it's not another tool that you have to download and everyone has to sign up and keep track of their login and pull it up when the meeting starts. It's just, you just go to a Slack channel. So it's very simple in that regard. I've also used a lot of really bad planning poker apps. Yeah, I have too. There weren't, there weren't any good ones. So we had to make our own. Yeah. Great job, Caitlin. I think it's also important too, to just remind people that it's okay to size something larger. If people really do genuinely believe that the level of effort is more complex than what the rest of the team feels, it's okay if only one person has that higher estimate. And so once people do estimate, you pause, you give the time for constructive conversation as to why people think it would be a lower level of effort. But then if people aren't budging, I think it's important to just move on right away and not badger those people into coming down to a smaller size or make people think it's more complex than what it is. It's usually about a 30 second to a one minute conversation max when you're trying to convince people to come down and estimate. And then once it's hit that time, it's just move on. They're obviously not convinced. Maybe they're new. They don't understand everything. Move on. Again, these are estimates. They're not commitments. So just expediting that estimation process is an important part of it too. You don't need to sit there and dwell on your estimates for five minutes. At that point, it's a waste of time. You probably should have just gone with the larger estimate to begin with. 
move on. Yeah, and taking into account that level of uncertainty is okay as well to result in a big, a bigger number. We talked a lot about the facilitator. It keeps kind of coming back to the facilitator keeping the meeting going. We joked around about having anybody run the meeting. It does sound like it should be someone with experience and also the ability to keep the conversation going because if the conversation doesn't keep going, like Caitlin brought up earlier, it's only an hour, hour and a half, two hour max meeting. So you should be able to get through a decent number of tickets during that time. What else can go wrong? Well, then they should come and listen to this podcast, obviously, to figure out how to just facilitate an awesome refinement. I have had to scrap refining of certain tickets during a refinement where I've realized I don't actually have enough context or enough business background or what the business is asking for is a huge ask where we thought it was something like really, really easy. And the team just has so many clarifying questions and it just starts to explode into, you know, three more stories or something like that. I've had to actually just say, we will revisit this next week. Again, a huge benefit of having your meetings on the calendar. The longest you'll have to wait to estimate that story is five business days. So I've for sure, just as the conversations just grown and grown and grown and the scope of the ticket or story has grown. I've just said, we will review this next week. I will go back to the business. I will get more clarification and just being okay with that. I think is something that can be a little bit uncomfortable or can feel like it's going wrong, but I mean, probably every other refinement, I would say at this point, I have to usually just scrap a card, start from square one, but remove it from the queue that we're going through and just move forward with the team. I think the other thing that can happen is a research task is needed before being able to estimate a specific user story. So for example, if you, if product wants to be able to text users to send them notifications, and we've never done text messages before, oftentimes, you know, the developers are going to say, hold on, we, we, we can't estimate this. We need a research task instead first to go look at text message technologies and see how other people are doing it. What's the best way to do it? How much does it cost? Things like that. So I think sometimes, you know, the developers know and that that type of thing might be hard for product to predict, which is fine. And I think if that does happen in your refinement, it's okay. You can table that card, you know, during the meeting, we'll just spin up a research task card and have them put, you know, like a day, a number of days estimate on it. So how many days do you guys need to research this before we can come back next week and actually estimate doing it. So yeah, I think, you know, don't be afraid to table something and add a research task in its place just to keep things moving along. And I think that both of these things happen when you start getting into very, very technical and very long discussions about specific stories. Right. Once the team doesn't know how to do a request or they start getting really into the weeds, that's a really good indicator that you just need to pump the brakes on refining that story. Cause again, you're getting into the how and you're not just talking about the what and the why, and there's usually a different path forward or just cut it off immediately. You know what I mean? There are moments I think where the team will start to go down the how, and it is up to the facilitator to just remind them 
if you get this story, you can figure out how exactly you want to do it. But this is not the time to have those conversations. And there's a million different ways to build features that are being requested by the development team. So once you start talking about the how, I think it really pigeonholes people into an idea of how to accomplish something that might not even be the best way. Or other features might get released before that one starts getting worked on and things will have drastically changed. So you would need to approach it in a different way entirely. So once you start getting into the how, I think you either need to, you probably need to either stop your discussion about it, go back to the business to get more clarifying questions, spin up that research story like Caitlin mentioned, or the facilitator needs to do a good job of just reining the team back in, reminding them this is not the time for that and trying to move forward into that. Do we all understand the acceptance criteria? Are we ready to estimate conversation? Exactly. Lots of really, really good information there. I think we really only have one hot tip for our listeners. And Caitlin, why don't you again highlight the biggest takeaway? Yeah. So if you're looking for a very efficient way to do estimation for a development team that's in the same room or spread across the country or the world, check out Ready, Set, Estimate. You can find it at readysetestimate.com and also in the Slack marketplace. Thanks everyone for listening in on our podcast. We hope you enjoyed the second part of our two-part series on refinements. If you did, feel free to leave us a review or share this episode with your friends. You can also check us out on Instagram at Ready, Set, Workflow. Also, please don't hesitate to tell us what other topics you would like us to cover in future episodes. You can drop a comment or reach out on social media. See you next week. Happy birthday, Caitlin. Thanks, guys. Go finish that bottle of champagne. Will do.